I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'm going to encourage you to pick up one of the Pew Bibles. We're going to be taking a close look at a number of different elements of this passage. So we're in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is ahead, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. You know, we live in a, a tough time. Shootings, 50 people dead at one time, floodings. What do we make of all this? Even more than that, just think about what are we doing here this morning? Why, why do we come to church? We're looking for answers. What's supposed to happen when we come together? When we walk out of those doors out there on Sunday morning, what should be different than, than when we came in? The answer to the first question, and I think to all of the questions we have, may be a little bit surprising, but I think Paul has them right here in Ephesians. And I think the timing is perfect for the time we've been spending in this book. Pastor Scott has been walking us through. He's been doing a great job on it. He's been doing it for the last couple months. I've been listening along while I was away. Scott's sermons have focused on how to be a healthy and productive church member. He's done a great job of explaining all that and laying it out for us. And he's not quite done yet. I'm looking forward to the rest. But this morning, I'd like to just back up a few steps and maybe take a look at things in a bit more detail. 
Look at the bigger picture that Paul might be showing us in Ephesians. You'll hear some echoes of the things that Scott has told us, but I'd like to revisit them because I think it's important for us to understand all of this, in particular at a time such as this, I think it's important for us to understand. Today's sermon is to equip. We're taking it from Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, just read the passage. What I hope to show you today is the answer to the question, why do we come to church? What are we doing here? But first, let's take a look at how we should read our Bible. Now, we go over this from time to time, but I want to give you a detailed look because Ephesians is is kind of a prime example about how all this works. Notice that chapter 4, verse 1, starts with the phrase, I therefore. Now, that should cause us to look at the paragraph before because the therefore indicates that the thought in this paragraph beginning is predicated on what the previous paragraph says. Notice also that there's a little heading in your ESV above chapter 4, verse 1. What does it say? It says, unity in the body of Christ. Everybody see that bold print? See that in your Bibles? If you don't have an ESV, it'll say something similar to that. That's not, that's not an inspired part of the Bible. It's called a pericope. It's there to help us identify the ideas and the paragraphs that we see, the thoughts. And we see uh, that in verse 3, where it talks about in the unity in the, the spirit in the bond of peace. The, the, the paragraph is, has a theme of unity. So the pericope, in most cases, is an excerpt from the text. It's a, a little blurb. But it's also an abbreviated expression of what that particular passage, might be a paragraph, might be two, might be three, what it's all about. You're not going to get a solid education about the Bible about reading pericopes, but you will get the main idea of what's going on. So since verse one starts with, I therefore, we need to back up to see what came before if we're going to fully understand what Paul has to say in this paragraph. When we do, we see that the previous paragraph, which runs from 314 through 21, was about Paul's prayer for the spiritual strength of the body of Christ. Okay, but take a look at that passage, because it starts out with, for this reason. For what reason? Well, to find out what reason Paul's talking about, we have to back up another two paragraphs to uh, chapter 3, verses 1, going through 13. We see that the mystery of the gospel has been revealed. And that mystery of the gospel is that the gospel is for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's for everybody. Paul's been made a minister of that gospel. But that paragraph starts out with what? For this reason. Whoa. (laughs) Again, we got to back up to fully understand. Backing up to Ephesians 2, verse 11, we see that all believers are one in Christ. That paragraph starts out with what? Therefore. We'll never fully understand why being one in Christ is important until we back up again, this time to Ephesians 2.1. When we see that believers are saved by grace through faith, well, that, that's, that's a good point, amen? But that paragraph starts out with and. So we go back again, this time to chapter 1, verse 15, to see that Paul is thankful for the love that his readers are demonstrating, a love that comes out of being the church with Christ in its head. But even that passage starts out for 
for this reason. So we back up one more time. This time to chapter 1, verse 3, where we see where this whole chain of thought starts. So all believers are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are all inheritors of the kingdom of God. We are all sealed by the Holy Spirit. So we can see that Paul's letter to the Ephesians starts out with a premise and just keeps developing. Paul keeps making point after point. And what I want to do is, is, now that we've seen that, is just take a moment and look at it as if we're reading the book from the beginning to the end, the way we should be reading it, instead of backing up through it. In verse 1-3, we see that all believers are blessed in Christ. For this reason, chapter 1, verse 15, tells us that Paul is thankful and praying for the love that those blessings produce as they form the church with Christ as its head. And then chapter 2, verse 1, says that all those in that church that Paul's praying for were saved by grace through faith. Therefore, chapter 2, 11, we're all saved in the same way. Therefore, we are all one in Christ. Because we're one in Christ, therefore... Chapter 3, 1, Paul has been made a minister in order to proclaim that revealed mystery of the gospel that's for Jews and Gentiles. For that reason, chapter 3, verse 14, Paul prays for the spiritual strength of the body so that Christ can dwell with us and that we may comprehend the love of Christ. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, that takes us up to the beginning of our passage. Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling as the body of Christ. Now, that's been endemic to Scott's message all along. But this urging that starts out chapter 4 is based on, watch this, it's based on our mutual blessing as the body of Christ. It's based on Paul's thankfulness and, and prayer for the body of Christ. It's based on the fact that we're all saved by grace. It's based on the fact that because we're all saved by grace that we are one and we have unity in Christ. And as Paul has authority as a minister and his prayer for all the spiritual strength for all of us in the body of Christ, the flow of all this is designed in order for us to land on chapter 4, verse 1, and to apprehend, to embrace the promises and the gifts of chapter 4, of Ephesians, the primary of which is unity. Unity. Now, we've heard a lot about unity recently. We're going to hear a little bit more this morning. See how well Paul sets this up? And we would, we would miss that if we just decided we wanted to study chapter 4 of Ephesians. So we keep on saying context is everything. Context is everything. Context here reveals the richness of what Paul is about to show us. So this unity is not something that we have to work for. Uh, Paul sets this up so well, the manner worthy of the calling. He mentions in verse 1 that manner worthy of calling is in humility, gentleness, patience, love for each other. Amen. Uh, in verse 3, we read that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now, it's an important word for us to understand, to maintain, to keep the unity of the Spirit. The unity is not something we have to work for. We need to understand this. It is something we already have. I mean, if we've been looking at Ephesians at all, we would know that unity is something we already have, isn't it? Didn't we read in chapter 2 that we were one in Christ? 
Look at what Paul says in detail in 2, Ephesians uh, 2, 18, he starts with. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're all members of the same household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We already have. We already have the unity. We don't have to achieve it. We can, however, work against it. Of course, not working with the unity and working against it can be work in itself. We have to work at deferring to each other. We have to make an effort to treat each other as more important than ourselves. Those are scriptural tenets. That's a concept right there that'll change your life. We'll talk about that some more in another day. But isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't he set aside his own interests? Didn't he treat you and me as more important than himself? Didn't he suffer for us so that we could have and be blessed by this unity that comes in being one with him? We see how deep the unity goes in verses 4 through 6 in our passage. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One, 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 one. Over all, in all, and through all. There's that concept of immersion in Christ. We have this incredible unity by virtue of being one with Christ and everything he stands for. We are in him. He is in us. He is through us. We are completely immersed in him. That's why, you know, we talk about being the body of Christ, but I think that's another one of those phrases, those Christianese things that just kind of rolls off our lips. We don't always think about it. We're the body. Seth read from 1 Corinthians about how important all the parts of the body are. You know that from experience. Those of you that might have a little bit more experience and some of you that might not have as much, know that if your feet hurt, the whole body hurts. Amen? You know that if your back hurts, your whole body hurts. You know that if any part of your body is suffering, the whole body's suffering. That's us. That's us. That's the type of unity that Paul's trying to describe. That's the type of immersion we have with each other. We're a body. So Paul's not urging us to walk in order to become united. He's urging us to walk in a manner worthy because we have this supernatural unity. Now again, we know this. Scott's been telling us for a couple of months. Our problem is actually how do we walk in this unity? We all want to. How do we get this done? Paul has the answer. Actually, the Holy Spirit has the answer. He just inspired Paul to write it down. And God wants to write this down because he knows that we will struggle to maintain the unity that he's given us. So, so he's given us his grace. His grace. 
Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, up until this point, Paul's been uh, keeping the focus on the one body, the corporate entity, speaking to the entire body of Christ, speaking, speaking as an organic whole, knowing that we need to, to keep walking in unity, knowing that we need help walking in that unity, Paul, the Spirit speaking through him, turns his attention now to each one of us as individuals. Before he spoke to all of us, now he's speaking to each one of us. And what he says is it's astounding. Each one of us enjoys a portion of God's grace. All who are believers have a share of God's grace. Now, that's a biblical truth we have to embrace. You might not feel this morning like you have a share of God's grace, but God says you do. And, you know, we find ourselves once again in a situation where we have to decide whether we're going to walk our walk based on how we feel about things or based on what God says about things. So regardless of of what your impressions may be this morning, regardless of where you are in life, regardless of what struggles you may have, regardless of what hardship you may have, regardless of what distractions you may have this morning as you sit here, God says you have a portion of his grace. So there's a point of thankfulness right there. We each have a portion, a share of God's grace. Now, this is not just saving grace. This is also equipping grace. Now, we've got to dig a little bit to find that in the scriptures, but I'm going to show it to you. Paul has already told us we are saved by grace through faith. That's saving grace. But we also know from the text here that Paul was made a minister by God's grace as well. Paul's ministry, Paul's ability to minister is a gift of grace. We each have a share of that type of, ge- of grace, as well as we each have a share in the gift of salvation. We each have a gift of grace, we each have a gift of salvation. They both come through God's grace. Paul uses familiar phrasing in his letter to the Romans to explain this. In Romans 12, 4, he says, for as one body, we have many members. We're hearing echoes of 1 Corinthians, we're hearing echoes of Ephesians here. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. We each have different gifts. Let us use them. Let it, with the emphasis on you, let us use them. Paul's intention is to teach us that by God's grace, each one has a gift that is to be used in the ministry of the body of Christ. He gives some examples in, in the passage in Romans. Listen to what he says. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, and using your gift to its fullest extent. That short list that we hear in Romans is not meant to be exhaustive. They're just some examples about how our gifts are supposed to work. The ones we've been given by God's grace in a manner worthy of our calling. They're supposed to work in a manner worthy as our, of our calling, as we see back in Ephesians 4. So, 
How do we get these gifts? Do they just kind of pop up? Well, 8 says, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He's saying, and we have a parenthetical phrase here, 9 and 10, saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended in the lower regions, comma, the earth. Let make no mistake about what's happening here. This is not talking about Jesus going down to hell. It's talking about him coming to earth. He who descended to earth is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Let me give you the Kavakas paraphrase here for these verses. Jesus gave us gifts when he ascended. Verses 9 and 10 refer to the incarnation. He came down to earth and the ascension, he went up. When he went up, he set us free and he gave us gifts. To do what? What are the gifts for? Well, so that we don't just have to guess at what the gift's for, what we should do is look back to that moment of ascension to see what happened there so that we can understand what the gifts meant when he ascended. So we can go to Acts 1, verse 8. Turn to Acts 1, verse 8. It's right after Luke. In Acts 1, verse 8, we see the last words that Jesus speaks to the disciples before physically rising up into the air and going to sit on the right hand of God. Acts 1.8, But you will receive power, a gift, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And now we know, we know from our time in John that the power was a gift because those guys weren't doing anything to earn that, amen? They were hiding in the upper room. They were afraid. They were confused. They didn't know what to do. So, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and what? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. His gifts, the gifts that he gives us so we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling, and our calling is to be witnesses for the gospel. The gifts are in order to make us witnesses for the gospel. So each each member of the body of Christ has a gift that will somehow help the entire body to respond to that calling. We're all here. We're all here to work with each other in carrying out the Great Commission. Isn't that what Acts 1-8 is, the Great Commission? In order to do that, we have to know how to use our gifts in concert with each other. We have to work in harmony with each other. So, he ascended, gave us gifts, and watch this, in Ephesians 4-11, and he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. I like the NIV here. I think it has a little bit more nuance, a little closer to what Paul meant. The meanings are the same, but I think the NIV is is a little bit more clear. The NIV says in verse 11, It was he, God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. I'll tell you, I've been reading um, a newer translation that I like even better. It's called the, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Excellent translation. 
Here's, what, here's the way the Holman Christian Bible, uh, Christian Standard puts it. And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. He personally, God personally gave us these gifts. Now, we can spend a lot of time and a lot of trees have died trying to dissect these gifts. I'm not going to get deep into it today, but suffice it to say that these are unique giftings given to the church. They're all descriptive of positions in the church. Apostles are overseers of the church universal. They're also the group of men that God used to inspire scripture through. Some think the apostles died off when John passed away sometime around 95, 93 AD or so. Some people distinguish between the original 12 and put a capital A apostle in front of them when they're talking about the 12. The small A with other apostles. Some think they're apostles today. Some don't. We're not going to address that this morning. It's not going to be addressed when we, when we stand at the gates and God asks the one question, what do you know about my son Jesus Christ? Much the same can be said of prophets. Some think that the prophets died off with John the Baptist at the beginning of the, the New Testament. Some don't think that. No matter what you may think about apostles and prophets, Paul makes it very clear that they were gifts to the church. God chose both groups to inspire uh, Scripture through. They were both vessels of inspired Scripture. God has also given to the church evangelists. These are people who are specially gifted in sharing the gospel. We've got to be careful with this one because in a true sense we are all called to be evangelists, but we all know some folks have a supernatural gift of sharing uh, in short, we're all committed to the gospel. Some are uniquely gifted in the gospel. It's good. It's part of the body. Those first three offices are largely itinerant in nature. They moved around a lot. At least that's the way they functioned in the first century. The last two, some may say the last one, are more stationary. They're more localized. Again, that's the way it worked in the first century. Why do I say somebody say the last one instead of the last two? Notice when it comes to shepherds and teachers, there's only one definite article. Uh, in the other translation, there's one the. This is most probably an indicator that these are two sets of giftings in one position, most probably. Today, we may write them as shepherd slash teacher. Um, only the ESV uses the term shepherd, though. All the other ones use pastor. Pastors, a position we're familiar with, at least I hope you are. Every church has them in one fashion or another. We all hear things from time to time like, well, he's, he's a preacher, but he's not a teacher, or he's a teacher, but he's not a preacher. Pastors teach, most teachers shepherd. I'm of a mind that these are indeed one position. So the, we hear so much about the fivefold ministries they may actually be the fourfold ministries. It's okay. You can, you can pick either one. It's, again, it's not a, a vital issue. A lot of debate over whether or not the offices are still functioning. But I've got to be honest with you. That debate misses the point that Paul's trying to make here. All of them, functioning or not, are given to the church for a specific purpose, and 
that's starting to lead back to our question for this morning. Our question starts to come into play here. You see, there are a lot of people out there who pick and choose a church for what it offers. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. A church should offer the things that are in harmony uh, with its calling. And all of us, all churches have the same calling, brothers and sisters. All churches are called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will fill different niches in in how that is spread, but every church that calls on the name of Jesus Christ has been put on this earth for no other reason than to spread the gospel. Every church that calls upon the name of Jesus Christ has been put here on this earth for no other reason than to spread the gospel. Think about it. God gave us the gospel for self-improvement or self-satisfaction or to make us happy or wealthy. He'd just take us to heaven. That's where all that stuff is. Left us here to spread the gospel. That's our charge. He saves us for his glory so the glorious nature of his gospel will touch other people. Some people pick a church because their friends go there. Some, some people pick a church because they like the music. Some go to a church because their family has always gone to that church. Some go to a church because it's the only church around. Some of us go for our youth program or our children's program. Some go for the adult programs. Some go for the teaching or because a church has a certain doctrinal position. I've heard rumors that some people even go to church because they like the pastor. Oh, come on. Somebody say amen. Give me. Some like big churches. Some like small churches. Some like denominations, some like non-denominational, non-affiliate. We all pick our churches for various reasons. And you know what? Those reasons are okay. They're okay. There's nothing wrong with them. But our passage today tells us we should come for one reason, regardless of where we decide to sit. We should come for one reason. Why do we come to church? We come for the same reason the church has been given the positions I mentioned just a few minutes ago. The answer is right there in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The building up works on a number of different levels. The building up, the strengthening, the teaching, the equipping, the building up, the growing, the expanding, the proclamation of the Bible, of the gospel. Ponder that for a moment or two. Just consider that for a moment or two. We, we don't come for self-improvement. We don't come for satisfaction. We don't come for relationship. We don't come to feel better about ourselves or get our batteries charged or to socialize or to be entertained or to get emotional, to be cool. We don't come to to be served. We don't come for a ton of other things. All of those things can happen. All of those things should happen. All of those things will happen at a church, but they are secondary to the primary reason we come to church, secondary to why we, WBF, are a church with the gospel being the primary reason we're here and to be equipped to proclaim that gospel, the building up 
of the body of Christ. In other words, we're here to find out how to use our gifts as one organic body, united in deed and purpose. Those deeds coming together to achieve the purpose and the purpose being the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think not? Look at the last few verses. Ephesians 4, 13. Until we all attain, we do this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Until the knowledge of the Son of God. What is the knowledge of the Son of God? The gospel. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. The leaders and the church are here to equip us. This is a message for all of us, brothers and sisters. They're here to equip us until we see the unity we have, until we have a better knowledge of the Son of God, until we grow and mature into the fullness of his blessing so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes so that we can have focus so that we're not scattered, everyone running off, moving in different directions, doing our own thing, so that we're working together, moving in one common direction, uh, basing all that we do on sound biblical doctrine, not caught up in fads, not caught up in the issue of the day, but dedicated to each other in the advancement of God's kingdom. There are no lone wolves in the body of Christ. There are no loners, no people who are Christians but not part of the church. I can tell you how often I hear that out in town. Oh, I'm not for this religion thing. I'm just part of the body of Christ. You don't go anywhere? No, I don't. I don't go for that organized religion thing. You know what? (laughs) Organized religion is the body of Christ. There are no lone wolves out there. God hasn't given the responsibility to spread his gospel to any one individual. He's given it to us all. We're here so that we can work together, so that we can worship together, so that we can pray together. That doesn't always work real well in the real world. It certainly doesn't always work very well in between churches, but you know what? It can. It can work here at WBF. We're all part of the body of Christ, and for us, gathered here today, gathered in these seats this morning, we can and should do all that we can do to be the body of Christ here on top of this hill in Warrington, Virginia, in Fauquier County. Working alongside each other, building each other up, working with other churches, building them up, working in our community to spread the gospel, not competing, not complaining, not comparing, but completing each other. Those competitors, complainers, and comparers are out there, but it shouldn't be us. Why? Because we're his children. We're his children. Let's expand. Let's expand our vision of what church should be. Let's move out beyond these walls. Let's adjust our reasons for coming together. Let it start here with WBF and let it spread out these doors and out these windows and down these doorways and throughout this town and throughout the county that we live in. Let's be the ones who refuse to compete, to complain, and compare. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is ahead, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Brothers and sisters, why do we come to church? We come to church to be equipped equipped to minister to each other and to a lost world. And my job as a pastor, all of us who call ourselves pastor or elder or leader, should be doing all we can to equip you, to serve you. To equip you and to serve you in living and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm committed to that. Scott and Seth are committed to that. Diane's committed to that. The leaders of the ministry are committed to that. I'll tell you who's committed to that, probably more so than any of us, is the elders to equipping you to live the gospel in Warrington, Virginia. But we need your help. We can equip, but we need, you, you need to take that equipping home with you. You need to take it home with you today. You need to take it to work tomorrow. You need to take it to school. You need to take it to your neighborhood, to your activities, to your friends. You need to take it to your family. We need your help here in the church as well. We need help spreading the gospel. We need you down at the block party. We need you in the VBS in a couple of weeks. We need you teaching Sunday school. We need you changing light bulbs and painting walls, teaching children, teaching young people. We need you for a million things because none of us can do this alone. Amen? None of us can do it alone. We need each other. That's why God has, by his grace, made us one. That's why God has, by his grace, given each one of us a gift to bring to the body so that we can spread the gospel, so that we can be the gospel, so that we can live the gospel. By living the gospel, I talk about putting the transformation that our hearts are going through on display so that people can see God working in our lives. We should live the gospel. We can put the gospel on display in our church and in the way we live our lives so that we can be the church in Warrington. Does that sound good? Let's rise up and sing about being the church.